Hey everyone, Jason Vest of the After Ed Podcast. Uh, just want to give a huge shout out to our next guest, Garrett Westlake. Garrett is the executive director of the Da Vinci Center at VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University here in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, if you don't know about their work, um, they're among an amazing group of people really pushing education forward and can't wait to share this episode with you. Tune in. Today you are in for a treat uh, with me on the After Red podcast. I have Garrett Westlake. Um, Garrett, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Uh, so you are one of those people that uh, are both in RVA and uh, just exceptional at what you do and I could not possibly list off accurately everything that you've done. So would you mind just um, telling people a little bit about yourself? Of course. No, and, and thanks again for having me. It's, it's great to participate in this. So, you know, my background, I think, just shows a real sense of adventure, which I try and bring into everything I do. So, you know, technically I did an undergraduate degree in cognitive science and got interested in Cogsci because of my own dyslexia and dysgraphia and wanting to understand what made my brain dyslexic and dysgraphic. So a little bit of neuroscience, a little bit of computer science and in route to figuring out how people's brains work with different types of learning disabilities. And from there, it took me to a master's in special education from Vanderbilt to try and learn a little bit more about uh, the field of special education and what it might know about dyslexia and dysgraphia and then carried that all the way through eventually to a PhD in curriculum and instruction. But along the way, uh, just had the opportunity to work both in K-12 settings with kids with disabilities and then in colleges and universities supporting students with disabilities. And in that time, I got a chance to work with some really outstanding, mostly young men, but young men and women on the autism spectrum and found uh, a number of students in STEM fields and college and university uh, with Asperger's and realized that their employment outcomes were really shockingly poor compared to their peers. Um, And the one that always stuck with me was that individuals on the autism spectrum that had a four-year bachelor's degree in a STEM field at a 50% unemployment rate. And I just thought that something had to be done about that. And so I was a part of a initial failed startup that was done by some other people in that space trying to solve that problem and then launched my own and did a tech startup that employed individuals with autism and managed to grow that to a company with 12 employees before selling that to a group out in California. Um, And today we've got uh, a couple over 40 employees on the autism spectrum out there doing software development and software testing. And so that was sort of my foray into entrepreneurship proper. Um, And I've had the great fortune to work for uh, two different large public research one universities engaged in the innovation and entrepreneurship space and love every minute of getting to support other innovators and entrepreneurs and their journey and try and create, um, you know, 21st century skills and real opportunity for students, be they K-12 or post-secondary. So that's a little bit of a little bit of how I got to be where I am today. Yeah. So, I mean, you you talked a lot about your background Um how did you end up in Richmond? Because you, you talked about being in other places, and, and I know that you've been in other parts of the country, but what, what kind of sold you on RVA, or did you sell RVA on you? 
No, so so Richmond has uh, Outside Magazine's 2012 Top River Towns issue to thank for me being here. So uh, I've been a lifelong reader of Outside Magazine, and when they put out their Top River Towns, my wife and I would always look at what might be the cool cities that we'd live in one day, like Boulder, Seattle, Austin, and Richmond made the list, and there was the Xterra race, the triathlon that was held in downtown, and I used to race the Xterra triathlons, and so thought that it sounded like a really cool venue and a really cool city, and it made our family shortlist, and when we were thinking about exploring, making a move to see what other parts of the country might have to offer, Richmond was on our shortlist, and it just so happened that in my search, BCU had something that sounded like it could be a good fit, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to Outside Magazine for making that happen. <laughs> I love that, and that is not at all the answer that I thought you were going to give, but that, that's perfect, man. That, that's a great, great answer. So uh, for those that may not know, um, you are the um, executive director at the Da Vinci Center. Um, for people, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so for people that aren't familiar with this area, uh, could you explain to them a little bit about what Da Vinci does? Yeah, so VCU did a really great thing about you know 11 or 12 years ago in the launching of the Da Vinci Center for Innovation. And at the time, it was really just to bring together arts, business, and engineering as disciplines within the university setting and give students a cross-disciplinary experience where they could come from those three different disciplines and take classes with each other and maybe learn a little bit about, if you were an arts student, you could learn a, bit, a little bit about business, learn a little bit about engineering. Um, and that's how it started, um, but it's really evolved, um, and I've been excited to join in the last two years and usher in a, a whole new era for Da Vinci. And at this point, you know, we're arts, business, engineering, humanities and sciences, as well as a number of the professional health schools. And really what Da Vinci is today is a catalyst. Um, we're a catalyst for cross-disciplinary collaboration, which means we find unique ways to bring students, regardless of major or discipline, together to solve problems. And we've solved problems both for industry. So we've done 15 sponsored projects with Pfizer. Um, our students have put new products on the shelf for Pfizer. You can walk into a CVS and buy something made by Pfizer that was designed by a bunch of undergraduate students at the Da Vinci Center. And then you can also, uh, you know, you may buy a product that was designed by one of our students who was in our venture track, who launched their own business. And we've had students go through the local accelerator Lighthouse Labs. We've had a, a couple of folks go through that um, and launch their own successful startup companies. And so today, you know, the Da Vinci Center is really sort of the hub for students at VCU who want to be involved in innovation and entrepreneurship. And that may be one class, that may be a uh, a certificate in design thinking or venture creation or product innovation. It might be our master's in product innovation, which was the, the first master's of product innovation degree in the country. Um, but then we also do, you know, startup weekends and pre-accelerator programs and hackathons and all the, all the one-offs that you can participate in without having to do more school and more coursework. So, we're really just trying to bring people together um, to solve problems, to give people 21st century skills um, and, and create a really unique, you know, post-secondary experience for students. I love that. And I was able to hear 
um, directly uh, at Da Vinci Center a few weeks back about uh, one of these projects um, that you were a big part of um, with the uh, VCU Hyperloop team. So uh, would you be willing to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I think the Hyperloop is a great example of how, you know, complex you know, innovations are today and that it's not just developing a new product in, in an isolation, right? It's not just engineering. It's not just business. Today, you know, I think you could argue that everything involves technology in one sense or another, and that even within technology, there's a huge application for design. And so Hyperloop was, you know, born out of SpaceX, which is one of Elon Musk's companies. And you may think about SpaceX as just trying to shoot rockets and reland the, the fuel pods. But in addition to that, they've got this Hyperloop project, which is how can we bring the future of essentially high-speed rail um, to the world? And, you know, their, their target is these pods that will go 800 miles per hour and really revolutionize transportation. And so one of the cool things about SpaceX was that they decided that they didn't have all the answers, and so they outsourced R&D for these pods to the best and the brightest university students all around the world and ran an open design competition where students from all around the world could form interdisciplinary teams and submit pod designs. And these teams had to have business units that were out raising money to build their pods. They had to have designers. They had to have engineers, of course. And so DaVinci was a natural, uh, natural fit for Hyperloop at BCU. We've got a number of DaVinci students on the Hyperloop team. They've got art students and business students and engineering students on the Hyperloop team. And we were early supporters of them when they said, hey, we've got this dream that we're going to build a, a pod as part of this competition. And we said, that sounds awesome. How can we help? And then lo and behold, nine months later, um, the VCU team was one of the top 20 in the world, one of the top 11 in the United States and got a chance to go out to SpaceX headquarters, meet with Elon Musk, and, and have their pod evaluated by all the engineers at SpaceX. And so really just phenomenal experience. from and, and the real stellar part about the VCU team was that the team was basically almost all sophomores. And so these were, you know, sophomores, now they're juniors, and they, they were like, oh, we can solve, you know, a massive disruption to global transportation. Sure, why not? On top of our normal coursework, and they got after it. So. Yeah, I love the audacity uh, of that. And, you know, seeing those guys firsthand, uh, I mean, I can say for the people listening, and this will be my segue into K-12, is that you could see that they learn so much from the experience and rather than say, hey man, we didn't win, like I guess we're not smart enough, we just don't get this, you could tell that it ignited a fire in them that, you know what, we're determined to do better and learn from this experience and be even better next time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know I'm a middle school educator and we've had conversations around this, but I, I want to hear your answer. Uh, why is middle school such a great time for um, teaching creativity and innovation? So I, I think it has that same sort of audacity that, that my sophomores in university experience. So I started my career in education as a seventh and eighth grade middle school teacher. So for me, you know, that age was perfect because 
you had a you had enough life experience to maybe know that the world was bigger than you, but you still were close enough at home to your parents and your friends to to not be maybe disrespectful. Um, so you brought some of the youthful idealism and enough real world relevancy to, to problems and to experiences to make it fun. Um, and, and it's at an age where I think you can really start to develop your own solutions and you can see that you can have an impact on the world. I'll never forget in middle school for me, they made us do a, a project in eighth grade and you had to do an eighth grade change project. And you had to change, you had to work to change something in your community and it didn't mean you had to be successful. And so, you know, my project was we had a two-way stop um, at an intersection by my house and cars were constantly getting confused and running stop signs and it made it a dangerous place to play in my neighborhood. And so my change project was to try and make it a four-way stop. And I learned a lot about what it takes to, to make change in your community, even if it's just something as simple as adding some stop signs so that kids can play basketball on the street. And so, you know, they empowered us as middle schoolers to take that on and we were able to do it. And I think that that's what makes middle school such a, such a fun, you know, creative, idealistic age. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I want to take uh, the education focus a step further. Um, it's easy to really get into like what's not working or really focus on you know new innovations, new models in education that are working. Um, but I definitely think there's a balance there. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what is working, uh, and I'm going to say public schools. So what's working in public education today, and what in your mind just absolutely has to go? So I mean, that's a really great question and one that's really relevant. I spent the first part of this week um, actually in direct service to the Department of Education for the state of Virginia working on revisions to the entrepreneurship curriculum for high school, two classes offered at a CTE. Um, so that wasn't middle school, but I had a firsthand look at exactly what is going on uh, in education, specifically around entrepreneurship. And I think, you know, what I think is going well is that I think teachers have unprecedented access to new information in a way they've never had before. So I think... Previously, the way that knowledge was held in our society was that you had smart people that knew things and they tended to congregate at universities and colleges and you had libraries and uh, information was stored in books. And so if you were a teacher and you wanted to learn something new, you needed to go to the library or you needed to go to a college or university. Um, you know, I'm sure you could go to a conference, but really knowledge was held by individuals and, and institutions such as libraries and universities. And I think what you've seen is this massive shift to readily available information. Um, in the course of the conversation earlier this week, and this will segue into what I think is a challenge today, which is um, we were sharing with some educators that were a part of this working group about how we might overhaul this curriculum. And we were introducing some new concepts and new terms, and someone in the group said, you know, you can't ask teachers to learn all this new information. They, they haven't never taught it this way before. What's wrong with the way we've been teaching it for the last 10 years? Um, it's, it's too much to put on someone's plate to ask them to learn this new stuff. And that was really hard to hear that 
you know, we've created a system where uh, it felt like it was asking too much of a teacher for them to learn new information to then pass on to their students. Um, and that the whole structure by which we were editing this curriculum was a process that's done every five years. And the fact that we were working on an innovation entrepreneurship curriculum and making edits that were supposed to be good. And they told us this when we went in. They said, now make sure you're planning for the future in your, in your recommendations because no one will review this again for another five years. I thought, you know, how different is the world going to be five years from now? Um, and why is that the rule that this curriculum that these students are being taught from can't be evaluated until five years from now? That's not the speed at which the world moves, right? I mean, right. That, that's, I mean, would you really want to be teaching, you know, a class? I mean, you know, before, you know, Instagram happens or Facebook happens or Google happened and, you know, what if Tesla goes out of business? What if Tesla takes over all the other auto manufacturers? I mean, for that to be left out of curriculum, uh, particularly one on innovation, was just really disheartening to me. So I think... The speed at which education allows itself to move uh, as an institution is a challenge, but I think, thankfully, teachers have access to information like never before, and that was one of the things that we brought up to the teachers in this meeting this week was, hey, listen, like, just Google Business Model Canvas, um, and that video that pops up on YouTube that's two minutes long on Strategizer, yeah, that's a great, like, watch that. Was that that painful? Like, now you know about Business Model Canvas. Like, you know, that's a, you didn't need to go to the library. You didn't need to take a class and get another master's degree. And I think that that is one of the benefits of today. You know, I, I got to jump in there. And you, you said something that uh, really gets me fired up because of my experience last year in, in piloting our innovation course. Uh, and that is that there is the uh, misconception that teachers have to be experts to teach a subject area and I couldn't disagree more based on what I experienced. I didn't know anything about design thinking. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship, but I did exactly what you just suggested. I googled something and watched a video or I read an article or I read a blog post and we learned things together and adding to that I was transparent up front that hey I'm not the one to sit here and disseminate that information on uh, or to you. I'm I'm right there with you. And for uh, an engagement piece, for a uh, just a, a buy-in piece from the students, like that really hit home. That wow, this is an adult that is seeing us as a colleague, as a peer, as opposed to just some kid in the class. Well, and I share your I share your experience because I sit here in a position that was posted by the university as open only to a professor of engineering, a professor of arts, or a professor of business. And I applied anyway, um, not being one of those, having a PhD in education. And frankly, you know, what was really exciting to me was that I was given the opportunity to lead a center that's based in arts, business, and engineering. Um, and I've never taken an arts, business, or engineering class at the, at the university level. In my entire educational career, I've never taken an arts, business, or engineering class. And yet here I am positioned to lead, you know, all of the offerings on behalf of those schools. 
Um, so by design, you know, according to their systems, I shouldn't know anything about it, right? Like I, I should right. not be allowed to do this because heaven forbid you allow someone not classically trained in a discipline to, to teach in that space. And yet here we are doing phenomenal things. And so I think it sends exactly the wrong message um, to our teachers, to our students to say that the only way to, you have to have mastery and, and the, you know, you have to be incredibly proficient and know everything about a subject instead of being a great educator, instead of being a great facilitator. That's a great point. Um, so, Garrett, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna announce something for those that don't already know a humble brag. So, I just got back from Nashville. I was uh, recently awarded uh, by Ina Nicole as their Teacher of the Year uh, for uh, across the nation and what they do. And I heard so many great things um, that other districts were doing, other places. Um, but I had to give a speech, and the last thing that I said in that speech was um, for people to stay tuned because I truly felt that we were at um, a a tipping point in Richmond um, at VCU, this whole ecosystem space that I truly feel like we're at the beginning of uh, what I called an educational renaissance. So I don't know if you agree with that or not, or maybe you'd use a different word, but why do you think people should be paying attention to what's happening at VCU and in Richmond today? I think what you're seeing, the word that I would use is pivot. Right, so in the entrepreneurship innovation space, the word we use is pivot, and I think educational institutions are at a point in time where they are realizing that they need to pivot. That the old models and the old approaches, the the factory approach to education, you know, we are not preparing students to by sitting them in rows and regurgitating information to us to then go to a factory floor and pull levers and push buttons. Um, that's not what education is about anymore. And I think you're seeing some educational institutions make that pivot away from the, the factory model um, to, a, to a new economy model, looking at the role of creativity, the role of design in what it means to, to move a business or an industry forward today. And I think a school like VCU, a university like VCU, is, is making that pivot and making it quickly. And recognizing that times have changed and that to be a successful leader in the education space, you need to do things differently and maybe in ways they've never been done before. And maybe that means taking risks and maybe it means making mistakes um, that we might not always, you know, provide the best practice. But where we are is trying really hard to be at that bleeding cutting edge of what's next in service to our students instead of clinging tightly to the past and saying, well, you know what, we've always taught it this way, so we're just going to keep on rolling. And I think what you're identifying is exactly right. I think that Richmond as a city um, is starting to make that pivot. Um, I think other cities have successfully made that pivot. You know, again, kudos to you. And I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and I think Nashville as a city in many ways has made that pivot. Um, or is in the process of making that pivot. And I think Richmond is doing the same. And I think it takes not just a city, but it takes institutions within that city, like a university, like a flagship university, like BCU and Richmond, to make that alongside it. And I think we're, we're seeing that happen here. Well said. Garrett, I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate all of your efforts to um, make Richmond a better place, make education something better. Um, your work is inspirational, man, so uh, I do.
Hey everybody, what's up? Jason Vest here from the After Ed Podcast. Look, we are growing. We are having amazing guests on, but we need you to subscribe. We need you to refer guests for the show. We need you to go and leave reviews only to help us get better and spread our message. If you love what you hear with the podcast, head on over to Twitter at Mr. Vest RVA. Instagram is the same name. Give me a shout out there as well. Also, if you want to check out what my students are doing from this innovation class that I always reference, check them out on the various social platforms at InnovateHC. That's the number eight, InnovateHC. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day.